Isn't it good to praise God together? Hey, do we have a worship team that leads us to the throne and does that well? Amen. Yes, we do. Well, if we haven't met yet, I'm Rob Campbell. I'm the interim pastor here for you. I'll be serving uh, this incredible house of God until we are ready for our next step. And so uh, an incredible lead team that leads this church. And it's been just a really great week of digging in under the hood and, and just getting us ready for what is coming. And just let you know that we're not alone in this journey that we have a sister church, Five Points Church, and we've been in a series with them from dust to glory. It's a survey of the Old Testament, and here's what we're trying to learn. We're trying to learn the Word of God so that we can know the will of God so that we can help change the world for God. That's sort of the what we're, what we're aiming at in this series. And Pastor Dean Herman is preaching that to us by video today. So let's check out Pastor Dean. All right, going to open up in the book of Psalms today. <clears throat> Excuse me. Anytime that we open up a new book, ask four major questions. Number one, here we go. Who's it written by? Now, every book thus far has had one author. All right. This one, numerous authors. Let's walk through who wrote the book of Psalms. King David wrote 73. How many Psalms are there? 150, very good. 73 of those were written by King David. Next, you have Asaph. He wrote 12. He wrote 12. He was one of the temple singers. All right, next, you have the sons of Korah. He wrote 12. Just a little Bible fact, I love this kind of stuff. Do you guys remember in Numbers 26 when the earth opened its mouth and swallowed Korah? Okay, that's because they, I ain't got time for that. But, but this are, these are the sons. These are descendants down the line, okay? So that's where you get the sons of Korah. They were uh, workers in the temple. Uh, next, you see the King Solomon. He wrote two. Remember King Solomon, his father was? David, very good. All right, next you see, I wanted to say Herman. <clears throat> Would that have been <laughs> incorrect? It's Heman. He wrote one. <clears throat> and then you also have Moses. Who wrote one? Now, there are, keep going, 49. We do not know who they wrote. The author is unknown. So if you add all that together, you're going to get 150. Now, number two, who was the book of Psalms written to? God's people. Literally, to God's people. God's people. Number three, what's the date? Now, we've kind of been able to narrow it down on most books, but this one here goes from 1410 all the way to 400 B.C. And the reason it goes from 1410 is because if you remember, all the way back on April 19th, I told us when we started, Dust of Glory, we're going to have to hang our hat on four major dates. And those four major dates were 2000 Abraham, 1500 B.C., all this B.C., Moses, 1000 King David, and then 500 B.C. Now, I know that that's not the exact date of the exile, but that puts you in the ballpark to hang your hats on, okay? 605, 597, and 586 were the correct dates for the exile. But, again, that's close enough to hang our hats on. If you go all the way back to Moses leading the people across the wilderness, that's where we begin to see the book of Psalms written all the way into the 400s. So it shows you just how long through those years that we saw it took to collect all the book of Psalms. Number four, what's the purpose? 
It literally is a hymn book and a prayer book for God's people. How many of you have ever taken a Psalms and prayed over it over yourself or someone in your family? I've done that before. Okay, good, good, good. I've done it before also. Uh, Probably need to do it more because it is so biblical to pray the word of God over yourself or over your family. So it was created as a song book and a prayer book for God's people. Now, many of these Psalms were sung in the temple. And you'll see that if you go back to 1 Chronicles. Now, 1 Chronicles 25. We went through the 1 and 2 Chronicles already, so I don't have time to go through what, all that. But it says in 1 Chronicles 25, David and the chiefs of the service also set apart for the service the sons of Asaph, just Saul, they wrote 12, and of Heman, he wrote one, and of Jeduthun, who prophesied with lyres, with harps, and with cymbals. The list of those who did the work and of their duties was... And the rest of 1 Chronicles 25 goes through and describes the singers that were singing in the temple, and they used the Psalms, a lot of them, as their hymn book. Now, as I said, the book of Psalms has 150 chapters. If you read through the book of Psalms, you see, I think, I can't remember, but I think it was 74 times where it says, Selah. How many of you have read all 150 Psalms? You've read all? Okay, okay, majority of you. Have you seen where it says Selah at the end of a chapter? Okay. You have any clue what Selah means? See, most, people, most people don't. You read it and just keep going. Let me put it in, in American terms. Here we go. You read the chapter, it's kind of like drop the mic. In other words, you said something powerful, I need you to pay attention. So Selah has a twofold meaning. It's a musical pause. Remember, a lot of the Psalms were hymns. So you take a breath, take a pause, but also to reflect on what was just said. In other words, man, I said something powerful. Boom, I got you. Drop the mic, walk off, reflect on this. That's exactly what Selah means. Now, <clears throat> out of those 150 chapters, I told you 49 of them, we do not know who wrote. Chapters 1 and 2 are some of those. But 1 and 2 are so important because chapters 1 and 2 lay the foundation for the remainder of the 148 Psalms. So 1 and 2 are known as introductory Psalms. Take your Bibles. Turn to the book of Psalms. Turn to the book of Psalms. Psalm 1. Psalms 1. And we're going to read Psalms 1. Now, I memorized this Psalm years ago. I have taught from it, from memorization. Yesterday, I said, I'm going to quote this. Have you ever memorized something? And then you didn't go back and regurgitate it and you couldn't memorize it and it wasn't there anymore? They say they got pills for that. And if they do, I sure would like to get some of those. Because I was going to quote this for you today. We're going to have to study that a little again before we quote that verbatim again. But we are going to read it, okay? Psalms 1, verse 1. Setting the foundation, setting for where we're going in the rest of Psalms. Blessed is the man. All right, let's talk for a second. What does blessed is the man? What do we think of when we hear the word blessed in the American church? Say it again. Money. Money. Well, if God blessed my life, how come I don't have a million dollars in the bank? I'll tell you why. Because God the Father, if every time he blessed one of his children's life, he put a million dollars in the bank, how many people would want to be in love with Jesus? Jesus don't want you to be in love with him because of money. He wants you to be in love with him because of your heart. Okay, now does he want to bless you financially is one of the ways. Well, of course. But it's not all about, let me just give you money every time is a blessing, okay? So when it says, blessed is the man who walks, 
it doesn't mean I'm going to give you money financially. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. In other words, okay, you're not a wicked person. Catch this, underline it, make sure you got verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. What's the law of the Lord? It's the word of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. I don't know how many times through the years, some of you, some of you watching, have said to me, Pastor, I, I, I just don't enjoy reading the Bible. I don't get anything out of it. I don't understand it. I don't have a yearning for it. I, I, I just don't like reading the Bible. We may need to take a step back and talk about that. Because the Holy Spirit, when you get saved, enters you. You become the temple of the living God. And when the Holy Spirit enters you, he has a very large job description of what he does for you. And one of those, one of the major ones, is to interpret Scripture. To draw you into wanting to read the Bible. So when you tell me, I just don't like reading the Bible. I don't understand the Bible. I don't get anything out of the Bible. I don't want nothing to do with the Bible. i got to ask, are you a child of God? Are you wanting a heaven ticket or are you wanting a radical love relationship? Let me make a really good analogy. Men, let me, let me talk to you for a second. Don't act all spiritual and all big and bad. We all know you ain't as big and bad as you used to be, okay? It's, it's, it's just, it happens. Your chest drops to your drawers. Things change. It's, 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 welcome to old age, okay? But I remember when a lot of my chest, my drawers used to be up in my chest, all right? So back in those days, let's back way up to when I was 16, 17 and falling in love with a little cheerleader from J.J. Kelly named Debbie Stallard. And she would write one of those grotesque, gooey, I would make fun of you letters. And I would never tell you that I wrote one back to her. Okay, but I did. Numerous times. So when she wrote me one of them grotesque, gooey, oh my gosh, I can't believe she wrote that letters. Do you think I read it one time and then threw it in the trash? Now, ain't no man going to say, no, you're too big and bad. No, no. Okay, men, you know what you did. What would you do with that letter? You kept it. And what did you do as soon as you got done reading it? You read it again. Why did you read it again? Because you're scared you might have missed something. Okay? You're scared that you might have missed something from someone you're falling in love with and you love reading that letter. Women, when you got the letters, what would you do with them? Oh, don't act all spiritual. Act like you threw them away. You probably still got a shoebox full of them today. So what do you do with those love letters? You read them. When? Over and over. Do you understand that this is nothing but a love letter from God to a child of God? And there's something in you that says, I don't want to miss a word. I just want to read it again and again because I'm scared I'll miss something from my God. It's a love letter straight from the hand of God to you if you're a child of God. So why you don't want to spend time in it, I don't understand but you'll watch the same movie 18 times. You'll go to the same restaurant 160 times in the same year. But you want to spend no time in the Word of God. You better do a heart check. Why? Let's keep going. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Listen, listen. And on his law, he meditates once a month. He meditates whenever it's possible. No, 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 no. And he meditates on it day and night. Day and night. Day and night. 
I see people post stuff or people say things. Well, you ain't got to read the Bible every day. I don't care what he says. He's legalistic. I didn't say it. And he meditates on it when? Day and night. And it's not because you have to. Come on, church. It's because. Let's keep going. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Okay. You've seen so many pictures of the wilderness, the desert, what the, a lot of what this Israel looks like. And then out in the middle of nowhere, you'll see a great big long string of trees. Why is there a great big long string of trees? Because they're down the river. You're like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. What are we supposed to do as children of God? Yield fruit. And its leaves does not wither. You don't stop. You keep yielding fruit. And all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does, he prospers. I'm saying this as a humble heart as I possibly can. But I've had pastors on a regular basis now. Okay, why has Five Point grown for 16 years? What's the secret formula? How do you go into a pandemic running 3,000, drop to 800? Most churches, a lot of churches aren't even open yet. Most churches are barely even getting their people back, and you guys are already to where you are. You've already doubled plus. How? I've come up with a formula. You guys ready? Here we go. It's the secret to your life. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Ain't nobody ever seen the seed I've planted here. You just want to see the harvest. My Bible tells me that when I am faithful in his word day and night, everything that he does will prosper. I may not have a bank full of money, but my entire family is sitting right there. And I turned over and saw every hand in the air worshiping just a moment ago. I would have that over a million dollars any day of the week. I have a wife of 41 years and love her just as much today as I did then. I do pastor an incredible church with incredible people and with one of the best staffs I've ever been around. Our worship team is phenomenal. We're about to buy a shopping center. It seems like everything this church touches prospers. Why? Because we are in his word day and night. Don't read the Bible. You're fine. You're fine. You're good. I'm not even saying that it's sin if you miss a day because I'm not legalistic. But what I am telling you is it says that blessed is the man who is in the word of God and meditates on it day and night and everything he touches prospers. He is setting the foundation for the rest of the Psalms. Be grounded in the word of God. We could go home and we ain't. I could drop the mic, but we're going to keep right on going. Selah. Selah. What verse am I on? Thanks. The wicked are not so. But they're like chaff that the wind drives away. You know, chaff that you can just blows it away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Revelation 20. When we come together and we're judged for our salvation, if we're his or not, not for our sin. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Okay, there's all of these righteous people, the people who've been made righteous through the blood of Jesus, and they're standing there. But the sinners aren't like that. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Guys, Psalms 1 sets the tone for the remainder of the book. You're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. And you've got to be grounded in the word of God so that when the bad days come, you don't freak out like the rest of the world because you know God is still in control. Psalms 1. So if you had to kind of 
recap Psalms 1 for me, what would it be? Be in the Word of God. I did a really good job for you not to be able to answer that question. So let me, let me do it again, okay? Psalms 1, recap it for me. Be in the Word of God. <laughs> Why do you think I beg you, implore you to read the Bible every Sunday? You, you think I get something from it? It's not like, I don't do it for me, guys. I do it for who? I do it for you. Because you don't understand if you read a devotion. You read one verse. Woo! Get in the word of God day and night and see what he'll do for you. Psalms 2. Psalms 2. Verse 1. I'm not going to read all, just a few. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying. So you got all these kings getting together. They think they're bigger and badder and smarter than God. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And then God, listen to what God says. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Do you know what derision means? Mocks them, scoffs at them. Okay, you guys get together. Go ahead. Get your little plans together. <laughs> See how you're going to stop me. That's exactly what it's saying. And then he says, then he will, and oh, well, I don't have time to keep reading it. I, I, I'm done. So what we see in Psalms 1, read the Bible. Psalms 2, the Messiah is coming. With that foundation, Let's move forward into the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is broken into five different books, okay, five different sections. And I do, as most do who, who teach this, would believe that Psalms is based on the five books of the Torah. What are the Torah? What are the first books of the Bible? Same with me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's called the Torah. Who wrote the Torah? Moses did. What did the people do with the Torah? Memorized it. They memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We can't read the Bible for a day, an hour, a verse, but they memorized it. So the book of Psalms is broken into five different sections, kind of copying the Torah, and it become their Psalms, their hymn book and their prayer book. Here's the way it's broke down. Hey, go ahead and just stick all five of those on there. Boom, 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 boom. That way people can copy that. There we go. Book one is 3 through 41. It's the chapters, 3 through 41. Book two is 42 through 72. And at the end of each book, it has a saying, the same one. Book three, 73 through 89. Book four, 90 through 106. And book five, 107 through 145. I see a lot of people writing that down. Get it real quick if you want it. Now, when they broke these down like this, it was to be imitate the Torah, as I said. It finishes with... Five more, 146 through 150, and they're praises to Yahweh, singing hallelujah, okay? We are in love with you. We just want to praise your name. So with that being said, you see how the book of Psalms is broke down. And this is where we're going to spend the, 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 the meat of the morning, the meat of the message. There are seven different types of Psalms. So I'm going to show you these seven Psalms and then read one to you. So that you understand exactly what's going on. So here we go. Let's jump right into it. Number one, praise. They're psalms of praise. This is praising God and giving thanks to God. Everyone take your Bibles, turn to Psalms 36. And I just picked some of my favorites. There are just some that, are, there's nothing real wow about them. I mean, these are just good examples of these psalms. Psalms 36, a psalm of praise. Written by King David. Now, I've, I've taught many times on how I pray. 
P-R-A-Y, acrostic. P is for praise, R is for repent, A is for ask, Y is for yield. It comes straight from the Lord's Prayer. All right, praise. The problem with a lot of the American church is we don't praise him for the things that he's done. We just ask for more. If God took away everything you didn't thank him for yesterday, what would you have left? You better learn to praise him for what you have and quit just asking for more. And King David does a great job of that in these praise psalms. 36, verse 5, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Men and beasts you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And he continues over and over, praising God for who he is, what he is, and what he's done. Number two, they're laments. Okay, there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations. Okay, what was the book of Lamentations about? If you remember, who wrote Lamentations? Jeremiah, very good. Jeremiah was lamenting over the destruction of what city? Jerusalem, very good guys. He saw King Nebuchadnezzar come in, 605, 597, 586, and completely destroy the temple, the city, crush the walls. He saw his family being taken into exile. Lamentations is about him mourning. All right, that's that's what the book of laments, the different Psalms are, is crying out to God in the midst of a trial. Now, are there times that I've not understood what God was doing? Very much so. Now, I will say this, since April 12, 1987, when I got saved, I've never doubted God. I, people tell me all the time, so, so you've never doubted that God is who he said he is? Not one time. Never. No, ever. I feel radically in love with Jesus and have never doubted him since. But have there been times I've doubted God, or not understood God? Yes. God, I don't understand what's going on. Psalm 6. Again, David wrote this, and he's hurting. Psalm 6, verse 3. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me from the sake of your steadfast love, for in the death there's no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? Sheol, Hades, the holding place for the people who die in hell. He's like, there is no praise. I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. Does it sound like he's lamenting, like he's brokenhearted? My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. He's hurting. He's hurting. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with hurting so bad and going to God with your hurts. Number three, probably some of my favorites, called imprecations. Now, they're calling for judgment on one's enemies. I love it. God, I hope you take their heads and bash them against the rocks of the sea. I hope I, it doesn't say that. Really? Turn to Psalm 109. Psalm 109. Again, this is David being chased when he's innocent. Psalm 109. And it says, Psalm 109, verse 1. Be not silent, O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. 
They encircle me with the words of haste and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. I love it. In return for my love, they accuse me. And so I go post something. No, that's not what it says. But I give myself to prayer. So they reward me for evil, for good, and hatred for my love. Listen to what he says. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he's tired, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be countered as sin. <laughs> may his days be few. What's he mean by may his days be few? Kill him. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless. And his wife a widow. This dude's wrong. Kill him, he's saying. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. <laughs> In other words, God, I'm begging you, get this man out of my life. There's some people I'd like to pray that for, but I never have prayed those prayers, okay? Number four, these are called prayers of confessions. Prayers of confessions. Now, I saved this on purpose. These are acknowledging one's sins. The Psalms are a lot like books of the Bible. You need to know who wrote them, who it was written to, the purpose, why it was being written. This one here is King David once again. There's a book. I, I couldn't find it in my office because I, I forgot about it until this morning. I have a book that breaks down every psalm. And it breaks it down with who wrote it, who it's written to, what, why it was being written. L let me give you a great example. Here we see King David. Now, the book of 1 Samuel. The people wanted a... Okay, I've done too good a job with this series, guys. Come on. In 1 Samuel, the people wanted a... They wanted a king. God gave them Saul. Did Saul mess up? Yes. So God said, I'll give you a great king. His name was David. Very good. The rest of 1 Samuel is Saul chasing David. 2 Samuel is the kingship of David. He does a great job. King David's incredible. But then chapter 11, there's a little failure here, a little mess up. And her name was Bathsheba. He sees her bathing. He brings her to him. They have sex. Sends her home. Well, she sends a letter soon saying what? I'm pregnant. So she, he brings in Uriah. Who's Uriah? Her husband. And says, hey, how's it going on the battle line? Thinking he'll go home. He sleeps on the, on the, on the steps of the palace. Says, I can't do that to my, to my brothers out in war. The next night he keeps him again, gets him drunk. He still doesn't do it. So he writes a letter. The letter says to Joab, the commander of the army, put Uriah on the front line. Uriah carries his own death sentence. He goes to the battle. Joab puts him on the front line. He dies. Who killed Uriah. David did. David killed him. So David's thinking, whoo, got this all planned out. People are going to think I'm great. I got his wife. She comes in. They're not going to figure out, you know, it's just a month later. They're going to think I'm a great guy. Life's good. But then God sends a, a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan comes to David with, with a proverb, basically. David, what do you think? King David, what do you think about a man who has thousands of sheep? And he has some guests come over for dinner. And there's a man across the street that has one little baby lamb, a ewe lamb. And instead of sacrificing one of his thousands of sheep to eat, he goes across the street and gets that one little baby ewe lamb, and he uses it to feed his, his friends. David's like, that man needs to be that, rah, rah, rah. And Nathan said, that man is you. Now, King David's different from the way most of us repent. This is the way most of us repent. God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me as I go out to do it again tomorrow. What's true repentance mean? Turn your back on it. Walk away from it. 
King David truly repented. Psalms 1, 51, Psalms 51 is his repentive psalm. Go to Psalm 51. And this is where King David, David begs God to forgive him. God, please forgive me. Psalm 51, verse 1. Obviously written by David after being confronted by the prophet Nathan. And when you understand who wrote it, why he wrote it, the purpose of it, it makes it come alive. Here we go. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Why does he need mercy? Because of his sin. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. God, please erase them. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. They've been pointed out to me. And my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and you've done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God, you are right. You are right for accusing me. Skip down to verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Why is he asking God? This is key, guys. Why is he asking God to hide his face from all his sins? Because God can't be in the presence of sin. Do you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross? He said, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabbatani. You remember what that means? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, how had God forsaken him? When the sins of the world were put on the shoulders of Jesus, what did God do? Turn his back on him. Why? Because God can't be in the presence of sin. That's why so many people don't understand how you think you can live such a sinful life and still have the presence of God in your life in such a powerful way. You can't do it. You can't. And David understands that. And he says, hide your face from my sin. I want back into your presence, God. I messed up. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. I know what's in there. I know what's being going on. Forgive me. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Well, what's the only thing that'll cast us away from the presence of God? Our sin. Our sin. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let me give you a good example. Have you ever, I don't have to ask, I know. But when you really messed up and did something really sinful and you knew it, did it hurt the relationship you had with Christ? Two people said yes. So the rest of you have never sinned. Well, I need to hang around with you guys, I guess. A good example is this. Debbie and I have a very good marriage. Well, let's say I did something I shouldn't have. I didn't vacuum the floor and she asked me to. She comes home and she's ill and she says, did you not vacuum the floor? I'm like, no, I didn't think about it. So now she gets ill. I mean, and this is something minor, obviously, but does that hurt the relationship in the marriage? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Now, let's say I go and have an affair. You think that's going to hurt the relationship? That's exactly what David's done. And he says here, some of you need to hear this, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I want to get back to where I used to be. I want to have that. I can't wait to get in the word. I can't wait to praise him. I can't. And some of you have lost that. And it very well be because could be because you've never asked him to forgive you truly of the sin that you have in your life. And the way that he knows that you've never truly asked is you've never walked away from it. Create in me a pure heart, oh God. Make me clean. Help me to have the joy like I used to have. I used to would have gone to hell with a squirt gun and now I don't ever even talk about you. Could it be because of the sin in your life? This is a psalm of repentance, of begging God to forgive you for whatever's going on in your life. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. 
Read the rest of Psalms 51. Great stuff. And for you to get out of the Psalms that type of meat, you need to understand why it was written, who it was written to, and the purpose of it. Number five, they're called wisdom Psalms. Wisdom. You remember when, when Solomon became king? First Kings 3, what did he ask for? Wisdom. That's why he wrote the book of Proverbs. We'll be covering that next week. In the Psalms, you have basically some, some Proverbs, if you will. It's talking about how life works. Go to Psalm 49. If you're in 51, just kind of flip over a page. For me, it's one page. Just flip over. And let's read Psalm 49, 1 through 4. And these, these are just gold nuggets on how life works. This was written by the sons of Korah. 49, 1. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world. Both low and high, rich and poor together. So basically, everybody on earth, listen to this, he's saying. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb, like I told you. I will solve my riddle to the music with the lyre. And then he goes through, and he starts telling you how to live your life. There it is. Number six, I didn't know a way to say it better than just royal. And these royal psalms are celebrating God as king. They're just celebrating who he is as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Because I told you, Psalms 1 tells you, you better get in the word. Then Psalm 2 is telling you, you better be looking forward to the Messiah. So Psalms 110, you're in 51, 49. Now let's flip back over to 110. Psalm 110, verse 1. Another Psalm by David. Remember, there's a lot of Psalms by David. We saw that. The Lord says to me, Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. And holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. King Melchizedek, the king of Salem, Jerusalem. So everything here is pointing to Jesus. And that takes us into the seventh psalm, which is the Messianic. Everything, everything is looking forward to the coming Messiah. Now, some of the most famous psalms are Psalm 22, 23, and 24. And there's a chart that, that I, I put up that literally is taking words from Psalm 22, and they put them in Matthew 27, Matthew 27 being the crucifixion of Jesus. They divided my garments among them. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, And for my clothing they cast lots. Matthew 27. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them, casting lots. A very messianic psalm. It's, this is what's going to happen to him. Psalm 22, 7. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. Matthew 27, 39. All those who pass by derided him, wagging their heads. Where's Jesus when this is happening? He's on the cross. It's a public crucifixion. They're on the road, and they're standing there, and they wag their heads. Why are they wagging their heads? Oh, you said you're the Son of God, but you can't get off the cross. Ha, 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 Deriding. They're, they're making fun of him. Coming straight from the Bible. Let's read another one. Uh, Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just got done talking about that. It says, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Sambathi. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see the messianic. Jesus is coming. 